In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In Homer's great epic poem, The Iliad, the Greeks leave uh, their homes and go to Asia to fight the Trojans. While they're there, uh, Homer's poem is actually a very small portion of this 10-year war. The great hero, Achilles, loses the plot. He loses faith. He becomes selfish, and he won't fight. Meanwhile, the great hero, Odysseus, maintains the faith. He remembers why it is that they're there, and he maintains his faithfulness to the king, Agamemnon, and he continues in his loyalty and obedience to him. We learn at the uh, end and at the beginning of the second book of the Odyssey that when Odysseus had left, his uh, young wife Penelope had just given birth to a son. And our question is about Penelope and her maintaining the faith and remembrance of Odysseus. This idea of going away from home, of being away from protection, of being away from the familiar, and having to maintain our loyalty, our faithfulness, is a story of sacred scripture through and through. It is the, uh, it is the story of the prophets. The prophets say, the Lord brought us by his mighty hand, he brought us out of Egypt, he brought us into the promised land, and people have lost their faithfulness. They've forgotten the plot. They've forgotten why we're here. They start to go their own way, and they become distracted by the temptations and the selfishness around them. And oftentimes it is a lone prophet, a lone voice who is saying, come back, come back to faithfulness and remember the story um, that we're living in. And that is what the prophet Isaiah is doing here in his book in chapter 40. He is reminding the people about what it is that they're supposed to be doing, about who it is that they are, and what it is that they're waiting for, that they're waiting for the Lord to return. This is the theme of Advent. We are preparing to celebrate the first coming of Christ so that we are ready for his second coming. We're preparing to celebrate the first coming of Christ so that we're ready for his second coming. And this is not an idle preparation. It's real work that we have to do to maintain lives of holiness and righteousness. What is it that we're waiting for? Isaiah tells us that what we're waiting for is the restoration of creation. It's a remaking of creation. It is all things being made new, and it's an apocalyptic theme. It's a theme of mountains being brought down and valleys being lifted up. In Isaiah 40, chapter 4, he says, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. This is creation restored and remade, and this is what we're waiting for in the coming of Christ. Now, sometimes the church has gotten into a temptation to think that they can count those days or they can figure it out or there's going to be a prophet or a person who's going to come and tell us when it's going to be or how it's going to be or where to look or where to go. And the prophet makes this clear that all flesh will know. He says, all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go looking any special place. You don't have to wait on any special person. All creation will know in an instant that Christ is returned and that all things are made new. And this uh, is, is a seamless part of his ministry that we see Isaiah talk about um, in the coming of the word of the Lord. He says, um, the word of our God will stand forever. This is a promise to us 
though all of creation is being remade and though there is this um, scariness of the violence of an apocalyptic understanding, the word of the Lord is maintained. That means the church will maintain its truth. The church will maintain its message. Indeed, this generation will not pass away, as Jesus says. This generation of the church will never go away, and that is a promise that we can stand on. The church will be battered, it will be bruised, it will be persecuted, but it will stand firm with the message of the Lord. And he has come. And Isaiah's promise 800 years before the coming of Christ um, perfectly describes what it is that Jesus does. He says, Behold your God, behold him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs. This is a description of what Jesus does as he gathers the apostles, as he gathers the faithful, as he gathers all those who believe in him. He gathers us like a shepherd and he brings us to abide with him, to dwell with him. Here it describes the shepherd bringing the sheep to its bosom. The shepherd brings the sheep to his bosom and he holds them there. And he especially cares for though, um, those that um, are with young, those that are the most fragile among us, the most um, in need of protection, those who are caring for the young. And that is not just the job of mothers and fathers, it's the job of the whole church. We all serve the young and we all gather those that are in need and are the most vulnerable because we are co-shepherds. We are called to be shepherds of the sheep and we are called to protect those who need to be brought up to the bosom and protected in the name of the Lord. And so this is the preparation, this is the kind of waiting that the Lord has for us to do. This is the preparation of a shepherd protecting his sheep. And this message of Isaiah, this promise of Isaiah is perfectly fulfilled 800 years later when John the Baptist comes and he is the ultimate of the Old Testament prophets. What John does is he fulfills all of the prophets that have come before him. And all of the prophets that had come before him, they had all had a similar message. He will come, he will do this, he will look like this, he will do these things. And John the Baptist says, and there he is. Remember that guy that for a thousand years we've been saying he'll look like this and do these things and he'll be like that? John gets to say, and that's him. And he is mighty. And John's fulfillment is the fulfillment of Isaiah. It's the fulfillment of Elijah. He takes into himself all of that role of the prophets and even is beheaded. He is martyred for that promise. And so what is it that he does? John goes to the place where Joshua, the great soldier, the great general, brings the people of God to the banks of the Jordan River and brings them across that river into the promised land. He brings them from wilderness, from the wilderness of sin, and leads them in safety into the promised land. This is what John does. He says, here is the river Jordan. Here's what we have to cross over. And the Lord is bringing you through these waters into repentance and forgiveness. So this is the first half of what we do in baptism. The first half is to say, oh, I was doing my own thing. I was being selfish. I was following my plan for my life. I realized the consequences of that. I realized the failure of living life my way. I'm going to turn and find the Lord's way, and I'm going to be obedient to him. That's repentance. That's change of heart. That's metanoia. That is the, the life of the Christian. Every day we are recognizing, we're reflecting upon our life and saying, oh, this way is not God's way, but this is, and we turn and we follow 
in his way. This is the first half of baptism. The second half of baptism is we receive the Holy Spirit through chrismation so that we have the strength, the grace that we need to do the work that God has given us to do because we cannot do it alone. And indeed, he has given us work. He has given us work to do and a promise that he will be with us always, that his Holy Spirit will dwell with us. And so we, restreat, we receive that strength and that power. And this is what John says. He says, I've baptized you with water and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. These are the two parts of the, the salvation story brought together. And we read in the very beginning of Mark who this one is. We read Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, some people hear that name and they think this is first name, last name. Jesus Christ, as if this is uh, Bob Smith. This is not first name, last name. These are both titles of the one who is promised to come. Jesus is Yeshua. That is the eternal one who saves. Yeshua, the eternal one who saves. This is the name of Joshua. This is the same name, again, as the great general that brings them through the Jordan River. Jesus is the eternal one who saves, who brings the people into the promised land. That's what he's doing for us. The second name, Christ, is Christos. This is anointing from chrism. The chrism, the anointing of God, the anointing that happens to the prophets, the anointing that happens to the kings, especially the anointed one that is promised to come in the line of David, the Messiah. The Messiah is the anointed one in the line of David who is going to fulfill all the promises that were made to David, that his kingdom would be secure and dwell forevermore. And Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah, the one who has come to be anointed to fulfill the promises that were made to David. So he is the eternal one who saves the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who establishes the kingdom. And then we read, he is the son of God. Now there's a lie that is told over and over again that we're all children of God. We're not. We are not children of God. We're creatures. We're creatures. We are created by God. Like all of creation, we dwell in it and we are fallen and broken. And we need to repent and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are adopted to become children, heirs through Christ, through Christ, through his repentance and his, his anointing, through his power, we can become children of God. And so this is the, the role of God, this is the, the message of God, this is the power of God that we're being invited into. And, and we are called to live lives of holiness and righteousness and yet we lost our way surprise surprise just like Israel before us we have lost our way st. Peter in his second letter to the church summarizes all of the letters of the New Testament he refers to Paul and he says yeah some of the things he writes can be hard to understand. He says, but ignorant people twist it to fulfill their own purposes. And he clarifies this twisting. The first thing he says is that God is not slow. He's patient. And why is he patient? Because he desires that all people should be saved. So that's the first lie that some people tell. Oh, there's a few select few that are meant to be saved. 
but God has these people who he is going to, to damn, and that's his plan. No, it says clearly, he wishes all to be saved. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we're not called into the error of lawlessness. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17, he says, the error of lawless people, and don't lose your own stability. This is a lie that's been told since the time of the New Testament, that once you've repented and once you've been baptized, you can just live your life, you've got grace, and you can do whatever you want, and uh, you've been saved, so now you're perfected, and you can just sit on this shelf and wait till the second coming. That is not the message of the New Testament at all. The message is we have work to do. We have stability to keep. We have to be diligent. We have to wait with diligence. We have to be patient. We should reach for repentance, right? We need to grow in grace. So there are roles, there are tasks for us to do. We do not fall into lawlessness, but we have to maintain the story. We have to maintain the faith. We have to be reminded of what that is. And the only way to do that is to receive those love letters that God has written us and to be reminded of what the story is. So as this beautiful colic this morning reminds us, we need to be in the scriptures. It's not just enough to hear them. It's not just enough to read them. It's not just enough to learn them, but we have to inwardly digest them. They have to become a part of who we are and how we think. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we are not the children of a God who has gone away from us. He has not left us alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Christ is with us right now. He is gathered with us. When we are gathered here, he says, I am with two or three that gather in my name. Christ is present. The Holy Spirit is present. His power is with us. And when we read the Holy Scriptures and we pray together, the power of God is here with us so that we cannot lose the story but maintain the faith and fight the good fight that is before us. Odysseus took 10 years to get home. 10 years at war, 10 years to get home. Penelope waited 20 years. When he gets to the door of the home, there are 108 suitors who are ready to break down the door. We have suitors. They are at the door. They would lead us into lawlessness. They would lead us into strife, into rebellion, into selfishness, into greed, into lust, into uncontrolled anger, into depravity, into pride, into jealousy. They are ready to get into the door but we must maintain the faith, not lose the plot, know who we are, and know to whom we belong. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 